0: If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 54 through 57 this morning, which is a passage that is all about victory, the victory of Christ's resurrection. In just our five verses that we'll look at today, the word victory is highlighted three times, verse 54, verse 55, and verse 57, showing us that what took place When Jesus walked on this earth and hung on the cross was nothing short of a battle magnificent. And what happened when Jesus emerged from the grave in immortal life on the third day was nothing short of a victory unequaled. See, there are two prevalent ideas in our world today regarding Jesus of Nazareth's work on the cross. The first is that Christ's trial and subsequent execution was simply a tragic occurrence to be aware of. An illustration of what happens when you speak truth to power. Power crushes you. The second conception is that Christ's suffering and death on the cross is simply a powerful example to follow. That we ought to stay true to our own personal convictions no matter the consequences. That is what the world tells us. Thus, what Jesus of Nazareth experienced on the cross was nothing more than a death like any other death. Experienced by any other person at any other time. Well, We celebrate today because nothing could be further from the truth. When Jesus Christ hung on that cross, he hung as a warrior engaged in a terrific battle for the fate and souls of mankind. And when Jesus burst forth from the grave early that third day, he emerged as a triumphant victor having won a battle of such epic proportions that I, in my human language, will never do justice to this morning. But where the words of men often struggle and fail, the Word of God always speaks with clarity and power. And so that is where we'll turn today to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54-57. through 57. The passage set before us this morning outlines for us the dreadful battle that was waged, as well as the total victory that was won by Christ on that first resurrection Sunday. So in verses 54 through 56, we're going to see, describe for us, our dreadful enemy that Christ took on, and in verse 57, we'll see our divine victor and divine victory that Christ accomplished in our place. So our, our deadly enemy, followed by our divine victor. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 54, on into verse 57. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Word of God, by whose appointments all things stand before and serve Him alone. Let's pray. Father, You know our frame. That we are but dust. That apart from You, we cannot receive the things of Your Word. So Father, we pray that You would give us understanding. We pray that You would give us illumination. Beyond even this, we pray that Your Spirit would work among us to create a sense of conviction where it is needed, and a sense of encouragement and courage where it is needed as well today. Father, we thank You for our victor, Jesus Christ. Remind us once again this morning of what He has done for lowly sinners like us that we might live lives for His glory. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in Your sight. O God, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. As we begin this morning, I want us all to see first how Paul describes for us our deadly enemy in verses 54 through 56. Paul writes this When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and he's speaking there of when believers receive their resurrection, their resurrection bodies. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. Here in this passage, we're confronted with the reality of death. That great devourer of the human race. One by one, death swallows Us all up. You cannot avoid it. You cannot run from it. You cannot ignore it. As one Scottish pastor, Andrew Symington, wrote, Gold cannot bribe it. Wisdom cannot elude it. Eloquence cannot charm it. Nor can greatness awe it. Power resist it. Or tears melt it. Death is everywhere. And it has made the world a field of graves. And we know this is the great reality. No matter how much we try to ignore it or suppress it or protect ourselves against it, death is the great devourer of the human race. It is the unavoidable element of our fallen human existence. It is part of our lives. As the poet Thomas Gray once wrote, the boast of heraldly, the pomp of power, and all that beauty or wealth e'er gave await alike the inevitable hour. The paths of glory lead but to the grave. Ignore it. Suppress it. Run from it. You cannot ignore it. Death comes for every man. Death comes for every woman. Death comes for every child. Yet, here we're being told wonderfully that there is a day coming in which death itself will be swallowed up in victory. So how is this possible? This is astonishing what Paul is describing here. Especially when we consider the nature of death when it comes to the natural man. Death, that old grim reaper, does not exist in an empty vacuum all by itself. Death, according to these verses, if I might personify it, has two dreadful henchmen. And in the presence of these two henchmen is what makes death truly terrifying. So think about it. One of death's henchmen here is called sin. That is why Paul says in verse 56, the sting of death is what? Sin. What makes death a terrifying reality for most is that their death will be accompanied by their sin. When death inevitably comes knocking at their door, their sin will be standing there right beside them. And in that moment of death, all of a sudden, they will realize that the reason why death has come upon them and a reason why it is rival is so terrifying to them is because they have sinned. You say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, what's what's so terrifying about dying in sin? It's because death, when it comes, is accompanied not only by our sin, but it is also accompanied by another henchman that's mentioned here called Law. Verse 56 says, The power of sin is the law. See, sin is not just a word. Oh, sure, I'm a sinner. What's the big deal? Sin is a transgression against God's moral law. Sin is an act of rebellious defiance against the moral laws of this universe. As Hosea 8 1 says, They have transgressed my covenant and they have rebelled against my law. See, death is a terrifying thing because. When death comes to take a natural man outside of Christ, it comes because in rebellion against his sovereign God, he has violated the moral laws of this universe and must suffer the just consequences. To break the laws of this universe is to suffer consequences. None of us doubts this at a physical level. If there's anyone here today that would like to jump off a tall cliff in opposition to the law of gravity, I guarantee you, you will suffer the consequences. God has created this universe with laws. Not only physical, but moral also. How much more someone who has rebelled against the laws of God who has lived in complete disregard to the words of the Almighty and the righteousness that He demands. See, this is why death is so terrifying outside of Christ if you have not trusted in Him today. It's because it is joined by the presence of your sin in the presence of the perfect standard of God's law, which you have thoroughly fallen short of. Death, your sin, God's law. These three in coalition form together mankind's greatest and most deadliest enemy. Law is the demand that we cannot meet. Sin is the stain we cannot remove. And death is the outcome none of us here can avoid. Death, when united with your sin in God's law, becomes the most powerful and deadly enemy of your soul. The sad thing is, people don't understand this. I've talked to people, and I'm sure you have too, who say, well, you know, I just don't know what you're so worried about. I mean, you, you live, you die, you make the best of it, and when you're gone, you're gone. That's it. But you see, some who talk, about death like that, have completely forgotten about death's henchmen. You see, if death was simply the end of life, then dying would not be that great of a problem, would it? But death comes with a sting if you're outside of Christ. The sting of death is sin. You see, the problem is not dying this morning. The problem is dying in your sins. That's the sting of death. You ask, well, why is dying in your sins such a problem? Because of the law. God has called you to live a life That you have not lived. God has given you commandments that you have not kept. And God has worked for you that you have not done. And do you think that a man can live his whole life in direct contradiction to the moral laws of this universe and never suffer the consequences? Do you think any sinner is ever going to get away with simply being pulverized? Not at all. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Scripture says in Hebrews 9.27 that it is appointed unto every man to die and after this comes the judgment. Sinner's crime against an infinitely holy God demands infinite punishment. I want you to think about this in terms of an illustration this morning. If you disobeyed your mother and instead pushed her down the stairs, what would happen? you had a good dad... You'd get a visit from the police and a scare of a lifetime as they take you on a tour of the local jail as your dad tells you this is where you're headed if you don't change your life. If you disobeyed a police officer and instead pushed him down the stairs, what would happen? You'd get arrested and you'd get thrown in jail. If you disobeyed the President of the United States and instead pushed him down the stairs, what would happen? Man, I don't know. You might die. (laughs) You see the point? The punishment of your sin is in direct proportion to the importance of the person that you sin against. Question. If you disobey the Almighty God of this universe and in your contempt rebel against Him and choose to go your own way your whole life long, never giving a heed to anything He has ever said, what do you think will happen to you? A single sin against an infinite God, demands infinite punishment. The death being talked about in Scripture, let us be clear, is not a momentary instance. It is an eternal penalty of death. To cut yourself off from the God who is infinite life is to be cast into a pit, Scripture describes, of infinite death forever where the worm does not die and the fire is never quenched. You do not understand the gravity of your sin until you understand that. And you will never understand the glory of the resurrection until you understand that truth. Who needs a Savior if sin is no big deal? But to sin against God is to bring upon yourself infinite punishment. There is no end to the death that accompanies your sin in the holy law of God because... One single offense against an infinitely glorious God could never be paid by such lowly people of dust like us even if we were to suffer in hell for all eternity. Now you might be thinking here this morning, okay pastor, this is Resurrection Sunday. Why are you talking like this? I'm talking like this because this is the only truth that will make you understand the reality and the hope of the resurrection being so glorious. Why do men not worship Christ? Because they do not see themselves as sinners. You will never appreciate the wonders of Christ's resurrection and you will never run in desperate faith to it as you must. For the salvation of your souls until you understand the horrors of death that awaits you if you do not trust in Him who is the resurrection and the life, the only one in whom sinners can find hope. So I encourage you this morning, you who have not at this moment yet trusted in Jesus Christ, I have to share with you the truth from Scripture. Do you see that you are in a desperate condition? You are swallowed up by this deadly enemy, this dark triad, death, sin, the law. You have a demand you cannot meet. You have a stain you cannot remove. And you have an outcome you cannot avoid. Law, sin, and death. You have to understand first, the wrath of God abides on you if you are outside of Christ and outside of His life. You're doomed, utterly trapped to this inescapable tomb of death, if you will, that your own sin has sealed you into. You are helpless to save yourself. The question I have for you this morning to consider is can anyone save you? Can anyone break you out of the tomb that your own sin has sealed you in? The answer is yes. It is the one who broke out of His tomb. That's the good news of today. The answer is yes. Jesus, the resurrection and the life, is the only one who can save you from your deadly enemy. Because he's the only one who has conquered it. And that's what we're going to see in verse 57. Our divine victor. Paul writes this after describing what stood against us. He says, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives it to us. He won it. He gives it to us. We must not look at ourselves and be filled up with despair because of our own sin and our breaking of God's law. We must look up to Christ. From Him comes our help and our hope. So who is Jesus and what has He done? He is the Son of God who took upon Himself human flesh and He has come to stand with us and He has come to act as our Redeemer. Our divine victor who has faced this grim triad and he's utterly crushed up beneath his feet. You say, well, how did Jesus do this? Well, first, you need to understand that Christ fulfilled the law so that you wouldn't have to. Everything God calls a man or a woman or a child to be, Christ was. Everything God calls a man or a woman or a child to do, Christ did. Read through the Gospels. Look at the life of the Lord Jesus and you will find this everywhere affirmed. Jesus, God the Son, was born of a virgin, born under the law, Galatians tells us, and in that position, He proceeded to live a perfect life that completely and utterly filled all of God's laws and righteous demands for humans. Everything that we are not, Jesus is. Jesus said this in John 8, 29, I always do the will of my Father. Who here can say that? He confronted those who hated Him outright, saying, which of you condemns me to sin? And they could not mention one single thing. Even His enemies who hated Him could not bring one charge of iniquity against Him. He was perfect in His fulfilling of God's law. As Matthew 3.15 says, He fulfilled all righteousness. He lived a perfect life. A life that we could never live. And then He comes to the cross and He dies in obedience to the Father perfect in righteousness to the very end. And there on the cross, Jesus Christ offered up His perfect life and righteousness freely as a gift for every sinner who understands and confesses, God, I believe this is true. Give me the righteousness of Christ. I am a sinner. I'm trusting in this to save me. Christ's righteous life on my behalf. As Paul said, I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the very righteousness of God Himself. See, because Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly, now His perfect righteousness is made available to us, not through keeping the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So Jesus, through His perfect life, Fulfilled the law. That deals with the first henchman. Christ fulfilled the law, so you wouldn't have to. Second, Christ paid for sins, so you wouldn't have to. See, Jesus gave His life for people like sinners, like you and me. This was what was happening at the cross. On the cross, the sins of others were laid on Jesus. He had no sins of His own. The wages of sin is death. Why did Jesus die? Not because of His sins, but because of ours those who would trust in him by entering into the sufferings of his death he took upon himself the sins of others and came under a dreadful curse the curse that was deserved for our sin as galatians three thirteen says christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us second corinthians five twenty one tells us that god made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of god in him See, on the cross, God did not throw your sins into the deepest sea. On the cross, God threw your sins on Christ. And there on the cross, Christ paid the price for sin. The almighty wrath and curse of God came upon Him, and in your place, He was utterly cut off from the Father. That's why He cried out in Matthew twenty-seven forty-six: My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Why? It's because of your sins. It's because of mine. He took the curse. Took my sins and paid for them. What I could not pay for, though I suffer for all eternity, Jesus bore it all in six hours. Being the Son of God, being infinite in worth and infinite in person, He could take the infinite punishment of God's wrath for all those who come to Him in faith. There on the cross, the matchless Christ died for the ungodly. For people who have not fulfilled the law. For people who know that they have many sins. Christ died for us. And it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. Jesus died for our sins. That deals with the second henchman. Christ fulfilled the law so that you wouldn't have to. Christ paid for sins so that you wouldn't have to. And third and finally, Christ experienced death so you wouldn't have to. What did Jesus say? He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. The eyes of Jesus were closed in death. Death, in its terrible fullness, was experienced by the Son of God. That is amazing. They took his body down from the cross, and they laid it in a tomb. He was dead. And then, on the third day, what happened? He rose from the grave, right? It was impossible, Peter said, on the day of Pentecost, for death to keep hold on him. He went into death, he went through death, and he came out of death. In complete victory, just as the prophets predicted 700 years earlier, Christ swallowed up death in victory. Death did not swallow up him. And so Jesus has faced your deadliest enemy that stretched his jaws for you, that grim triad of sin, of law, of death. And he has swallowed them up in victory by his resurrection from the dead. He's fulfilled the law this morning. That is good news. He has paid for your sins. That is good news. And He has conquered death in your place. That is good news. We live in a world dominated by fear of those three things. I am afraid of God and what He expects of me. I am afraid of my sins and what I will have to suffer for. it, And I am afraid of death. Jesus Christ conquered them all. He's fulfilled the law. He's paid for sin. He's conquered death. And He offers His victory this morning to you who could never win it. This is the glory of the resurrection. The victory of Christ's resurrection can be yours if you trust in Him. And it will be yours if you are in Him by faith. Jesus says Himself in John 8, 51 that those who trust in Him will never see Death. You see, this entire context of this passage is written about Paul talking about the glories of the physical resurrection that await those who are in Christ. I am offering you, ladies and gentlemen, not only hope for your souls, I am offering you redemption for your bodies one day. This is what Jesus Christ, he died on the cross not because he just loved your heart. He loves you, the entirety of you. And he died to redeem the entirety of you. Those who trust in Him will never see death. You'll never experience it because of Christ's resurrection. Think of that promise. Whoever trusts in Him will never see death. That means two things. That means first, that you will not see the death that's described in this passage. That dreadful, eternal death that dreadful eternal death accompanied by your sin, that dreadful eternal death accompanied by God's law forever and ever, that is eliminated if you trust in Jesus Christ. Christ swallowed all that up in victory for you when He rose from the grave. Second, when Jesus says that those who trust in Him will not see death, it means that when you do come to physical death, if you're in Christ, you yourself will not experience it. You will pass it by so fast you won't even see it. That's what Jesus is saying. By the victory of Christ's resurrection, you will go from life to life everlasting just like that. You will not see death. What do you think eternal life means if it means life uninterrupted by death? This is the promise of Christ. By the victory of Christ's resurrection, you will go from life to life everlasting. Exactly what Jesus said in John 11:25 through26: "I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is the question I ask everyone here today. Do you believe this? Jesus was no mere man. He is God the Son. He fulfilled God's law. He paid the price for your sins. And He experienced the fiercest dreadfulness of damning wrath so you wouldn't have to. The demand you could not meet, He has fulfilled. The stain you could not have removed, He washes away. And the outcome that you cannot avoid, Christ swallowed and took up in Himself. Do you believe this? If so, then this very moment, by His grace, I urge you to confess to God, even where you sit this Resurrection Sunday, that you are trusting in nothing else but Jesus to pay for your sins, to make you righteous, and to save you from the penalty of everlasting death. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Trust in the victory of His resurrection. Second, if you have trusted in His victory, are you still trusting in it, believer? And rejoicing in it? Oh, of all days, remember this day that in Christ, death's sting is gone for you, believer. You will not see your sins or the terrors of death on that day when you slip from this world into eternity. You will see your Savior and the wonders of His victory. My heart is for the church. Don't let thoughts of death, brothers and sisters cripple you in following Jesus Christ and obeying Him. Let thoughts of Christ's victory embolden you to do whatever He asks you to do. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, that will not be a moment of fear. That will be a moment of triumphal joy as we cry out, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If by the victory of Christ's resurrection, death itself cannot touch you, then nothing else in this world can believer. So believers, live for the risen Lord without fear. I call on every believer who is watching this through live stream today. I know your fear. But Christ died and He rose again so that we would not have to fear death. Do not live in fear. Believe in the victory of the resurrection. And don't waste another second of your life. Just live for Christ. Live for Christ. And fear nothing that this world can throw at you. Live for Him. This is the message of Christ's resurrection because this is the last verse That's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which I deliberately held off reading until this moment. Therefore, my beloved brothers, because of the victory of the resurrection, because of this living hope that we have in Jesus, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is never in vain trust in the victory of his resurrection which he has won on your behalf the law is fulfilled sin is paid death is conquered all glory be to jesus both now and forevermore amen trust in the victory of his resurrection this is the word of god from 1 Corinthians 15:54 through 57, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until he comes. To that end, let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for the wonders of his resurrection. Father, I thank You that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, living in rebellion against You, You and Your love came to earth and You fulfilled the law in our place. Father, I thank You that when we had a record of wrongs that piled up even to the heavens, sin unceasing, You and Your love came to earth and You paid the penalty for our sins beneath God's wrath in Your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I thank You that when we were facing a condemnation that we could not face, Jesus Christ took the wrath. He bore Your wrath and died in our place, swallowing up death forever in Him. Father, I just thank You for the victory of Jesus. And I pray, Father, that You would help every single soul here today to trust in His victory. If there is someone who has not trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their souls, I pray that they would do that this morning. That they would humble themselves before You, acknowledge that they are a sinner, and run to the refuge of Jesus Christ. I pray for the rest of us who have trusted in Jesus, help us to live lives of resurrection victory in the eyes of those around us. For we serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. And we need not fear. For in Christ, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Give us grace, Father, to live these lives during this next week until we meet again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.